Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. So we have begun this month in 2022 by resetting our faith. And Pastor Jim came and he brought the message of reset right at the start of the month. And we know that reset means that we remember that every situation enables transformation. Every situation enables transformation. We remember that every opportunity we have is an opportunity for us to be transformed. And so we started this term, started this, this year talking about resetting our lives, resetting our relationship with God. And then Jim spoke about resetting our prayer life, about finding a time to pray, a place to pray, and of course telling us how to pray as well. And then Pastor Pepe last, Pastor Pepe last week spoke about resetting our faith. And so this morning I'm going to continue on in that series by talking about resetting our hope. Resetting our hope. And of course we know that reset means to fix, to restore, to set again, to adjust. And so we're going to reset our hope this morning, adjusting it so we can have greater hope in our lives. And I'm glad to be following last week's message on faith because faith and hope are linked. They are like love. They will always be the three eternals, faith, hope, and love. And so we had faith and now we have hope. And next week, Pastor Ken is going to talk about resetting our love. And it's going to be an awesome message. So remember, as you go through this, that every situation enables transformation. That is important as we look at hope. Because hope, unlike faith, I think hope is a little more universally recognised. I think people relate to the concept of hope more readily than they do faith. People write stories about hope. They sing songs about hope. There's movies. We watch movies about hope. In fact, my favourite movie, which is The Shawshank Redemption, is all about hope. And uh, I've mentioned it before. That's my favourite movie. It's written by Stephen King. Um, a story of the same, almost the same name. And here it's in a collection of stories about the seasons. And the Shawshank Redemption comes under the title of Hope Springs Eternal, spring being the season. And so the story of the Shawshank Redemption is all about hope. That's why it's my favourite movie, because it follows these guys called Andy and Red. And Andy's in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, and Red describes himself as the only guilty man in Shawshank prison, because everyone declares that they're innocent. And during the film, hope becomes the overriding concept. And we see during the film that Hope and Red have, uh, Andy and Red have very different ideas of hope. And there's one scene in there while they're sitting at the cafeteria and they're talking, and Andy's speaking to these bunch of other inmates, and he says, there's something inside us that they can't get to. They can't touch. It's, it's yours. And Red inquires about that, and Andy says that it's hope. And uh, Red looks at Andy, and it's very serious, and all the other guys be quiet. And Red goes, hope, Andy, I'm going to tell you something. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no place on the inside. You better get used to that. And so we see that Red is no fan of hope, but Andy is all about hope. Andy is hopeful always, and and Red has no hope at all. And we see as the course of the film goes on, Andy's hopefulness begins to rub off on Red. And by the end of the film, we come to the final scene, which is the same in the book as it is in the movie. And Red is on a bus. 
And this is how the last quote of the movie goes. He says this, I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. And so the story ends with hope. Because why? Because as an audience, we want hope. People want to be hopeful. We want hope to prevail. We all want to hope for something. We want to have hope in our life. Hope is a good thing. So then, of course, we have to ask ourselves, what is hope? What is hope? How would you define hope? And of course, I'm a wordsmith. I like to know how words work. And so I'm going to look up hope in different languages, in our root languages. And in the Latin, the word for hope is the word spur. And spur means a desire that you wish to be fulfilled. So it's something that you wish for that it would happen. That is what the word spur means. But the Latin also has another word for hope. They have the word hopion, which means to hope in the absence for any justification for hope. So you hope for something to happen, even though you have no reason for it to actually happen. And so we have these dueling ideas, these two opposite ends of what hope could be, and they are wishful thinking versus confident expectation. Wishful thinking versus confident expectation. And I think that the world at large falls into the wishful thinking category. Hope for them is something that they wish for. They wish it would happen. I hope that I get that job. I hope that I get to work on time. I hope that the exam isn't too hard. I hope today was better than it was yesterday. It's a kind of wishful thinking. You just want it to happen. But for believers, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, I hope that hope for you is not wishful thinking. I hope that it is confident expectation. Because we believe in a God who is good. We believe in a God who fulfills his promises. So hope shouldn't be wishful thinking for us. Hope should be a confident expectation that God is good and that good things are going to happen. Hope means something else for us who believe in God. And we see that when we look at the language of God's people, and that is the Hebrew. And so in the Hebrew, there are actually two words for hope. And they are the words yachal and tikva. This is your English lesson, this is your Hebrew lesson for the day. Okay? I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing them incorrectly, Dave. I'm sure you'll correct me later on. But Yahal and Tikva are the two words for hope. And Yahal means to wait, means to wait, to wait on his promises. The idea that hope requires patience. Hope and patience are linked together. If we're to be people who are hopeful, we need to be people who can wait. And then there's tikva. And tikva means something completely different. It doesn't mean wait. It doesn't mean patience. It means cord or attachment. Now, that doesn't seem to be the most logical connection, does it? But the best example I found of this idea is found in Joshua 2.18. Now, in Joshua, <clears throat> we see that the spies have gone into the land and they've gone into Jericho, the city of Jericho, to spy out the city. Now, 40 years previously... Uh, God's people sent in 10 spies into the land and two came back and said, yeah, we can do this, Caleb and Joshua. And the other 10 said, no, we can't. And then they followed the 10 and they've had to wait 40 years. Now they're back. They've spent two, two more spies into the city. But the king of Jericho knows that there's spies in his city somewhere. And so he sends his army and he goes looking for them. And so these spies need to hide. And a woman named Rahab hides the spies in her home. And then she helps them escape out of Jericho's walls by lowering a rope out of her window, and they escape. And in response to this, this help, this assistance, the spies tell Rahab, 
to keep the rope tied to her window. And when God's people come to take Jericho, anybody who's in her home will be spared. They will be safe. And the word tikvah is the word for rope. It is literally the rope hanging from her window. That's the word tikvah. So the word rope, so rope is the word hope. So hope is rope. I'm not writing Dr. Seuss novel, okay? That's the wondering. I'm not. But the rope is her hope because Rahab's future, her hope for safety is tied to that physical rope hanging from her window. It is the symbol from God's people that she will be safe, that her family will be safe when they come into Jericho. So she has now a confident expectation of things to come. That rope is her sign from God that she will be safe. She has anticipating it. She's anticipating now that things will be okay. This is going to happen. So what is hope? Looking at God's word, it means to wait patiently with the expectation and anticipation that it will happen. To wait patiently with expectation and anticipation that it will happen. It's going to happen. You just need to be patient. When Pastor Jim spoke a couple of weeks ago about prayer, he gave us an acronym about how we should pray. And if you remember, which I hope you all do here and at home, I hope you remember, that P was praise and then there was repent, then there was ask, then there was yield, and then E was expect, and then R was rejoice. But I want to focus on the E. E was expect. To wait in expectation, once you've asked God for something, you've yielded to his will, and then you wait in expectation. Hope is being expectantly patient. So we know what hope is. We can define hope. We have a grasp of what hope looks like. The real question for us this morning is, as we seek to reset our hope in 2022, how does, how does hope work? How does it work in our life? How can we have hope in our life? How can we grab hold of it? How can we hold on to it? How can we rest in it? How do we persevere with hope? How does hope work in our daily life? And to do that, I'm going to look at a man named Gideon. A man named Gideon. Now, before we get to the verse on the screen, I'm going to give you a bit of background as to where we are in the story of God's people. Now, Gideon was a judge over Israel. And at the time of Gideon, things for God's people weren't particularly good. Things weren't going well. And it was all their own fault. Okay, Just to make that clear, it was their own fault. They had done some bad things, and these were the consequences. You see, the Midianites a nomadic tribe, had moved in to the land and they had decided they were going to destroy all of the Israelites' crops. They're stealing all their food, taking all their livestock, they're destroying everything they can. So much so that the people have gone into hiding. In order to survive, they're hiding in caves and in cliff faces, trying to store what food they have so the Midianites can't find it. And this has been going on for seven years. Seven years. It's been seven years of oppression by the Midianites. And so God's people are in a bad place. They can't plant crops, and they're just eking out a, survive, eking out a life trying to survive the Midianites' brutality. And so they cry out for help. They want God to help them. And so God, being a good God, he answers them, and he sends a prophet to them. And the prophet says to them, he says, well, it's your own fault. You're in this trouble. And they're like, thanks, God, for the encouraging word. But it was their own fault. He warned them not to worship false gods. And what did they do? 
They rejected God and started worshipping the Baals and Asherah. That's what they did. They rejected God, and this is the consequence. And so this prophet comes and gives them a very stern talking to, which is not very encouraging at all. And the prophet leaves. And so you think, oh, thanks, God. Excellent. But then God sends an angel. And he sends an angel to a man named Gideon. And pick up the story here in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Gideon, and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from all the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Because we all love an acronym, in order to help us to reset our hope and understand what hope is, I have four points today that conveniently tie to the four letters in the word hope. So we're going to start with H, because that would be sensible. And H stands for history. History. We must grab hold of our history. When the angel of the Lord came to speak with Gideon and claims him to be a mighty warrior, Gideon's response is not what I would have gone with. An angel has appeared, God is speaking to you, and Gideon questions God straight away. That's not what I would have done, but again, I haven't been oppressed by Midianites for seven years, so I'm not going to you know, judge Gideon too harshly. And he is respectful. He does say, sir, before he asks his question. And he questions to God, why is this happening to my people? And then he accuses God of abandoning them. In the midst of his rant, though, Gideon gives us great insight into how hope works. Gideon asks God about where are all the wonders that his ancestors have told him about. Where are the good things that God has done? Because he mentions it, he says, where is this God, the God that saved our people from slavery, who brought us up out of Egypt? He remembers the, God, the good things God has done. And then God tells Gideon to go and save Israel because he is sending him. He doesn't even respond to Gideon's accusations or his questions. He just tells Gideon to go, I am sending you. But then Gideon questions God again, famously asking, how can he save Israel when he is the least in the least clan? In the weakest clan, he is the weakest. How can he do this? And so what we see from Gideon is this, that our history is important, but where we look in our history is more important. We have to remember what God has done, not what we have done. In our history, we must look at what God has done, not what we have done. I read once that faith is grounded in the reality of the past, and hope is looking to the reality of the future. Without faith, there is no hope, and without hope, there is no true faith. We have faith because of what God has done for us, yes? That's why we have faith. That's why we believe, because of what God has done for us. And that fuels our hope for the future. And our hope helps us to believe for the future. It fuels our faith. You can't have one without the other. 
we must remind ourselves of the good things that God has done for us. We must anchor our hope in the knowledge that God has given us so much already. He will do so again. He will continue to do so. That he doesn't forget us. He doesn't ignore us. We have faith because of his goodness. And we can reset our hope if we take the time to remember all that he has done for us. You see, Gideon started off by recalling the stories of what God has done in the past, of his goodness, saving his people from slavery. But then he got distracted by his own past, being born into a family that's considered weak. And then he considers himself the weakest in that family. Because of his history, because of how he grew up, that is how he saw himself. He got distracted by his own past instead of what God had done in the past for his people. We've got to take our eyes off how we see ourselves, the words spoken over us in the past, the things that we have done, the things that cause us regret, the things that cause us shame. That is not the history we're supposed to look at. We have to put that aside and remember how God has saved us. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the testimony of his grace and mercy, and be thankful for every blessing he has given us. We need to be people who name our blessings. Even now, sitting wherever you are, here or at home, I want you to think about the good things that God has given you. I am thankful that God has blessed me with a great wife at a time in my life when I had given up on finding a partner. God came through. He blessed me with my wife. He blessed us with children after many years of us trying not being able to have kids. God blessed us, and now we have four of them. God blessed me with an awesome job working in a school. 17 years ago, I went for a job in a school, and I wasn't even the first pick, as I found out later on. Someone else got the job, but that fell through. God made a way because he wanted me in that place. And I'm thankful for my church, an amazing church. Jan and I moved from... Lismore to Brisbane looking for a church and God led us here at Riverside. And we've been here for 18 years now. I am thankful just for those things that I can think of right now. I'm sure that you have things that you are thankful for. If you remember his blessings and you name them, then you can reset your hope. Because that same God is working for you now and will work for you in the future. So we continue on with the story of Gideon. So Gideon's been chosen. He's going to beat the Midianites as they have a one man. So we continue on the story. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. This is the first of three signs that Gideon asked for God from God. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. That's the angel, the angel responding. I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat with a, and a basket of flour. He baked some bread without yeast. And then carrying the meal in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. 
And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So Gideon hears that he will destroy the Midianites. He is God's chosen mighty warrior. In the NRV, he said he is a mighty man of valor. And what is Gideon's response? How does he respond first? He wants to make sure that it's really God speaking to him, as if the angel before him wasn't enough proof, but we won't go into that. What does Gideon do? He cooks a crazy big meal for an angel. That's probably not what I've gone with, but it's all right. We could talk back and forth all day about Gideon's doubt and his lack of trust and his constant need for reinsurance, but we're not going to go there. Because what we do learn from Gideon about hope is that it is opportunity. We learn about opportunity. We have history and now we have opportunity. This month is all about reset. And we know that every situation enables transformation. Gideon is presented with an opportunity. And what is his response? He works to allay his fears. Maybe if it was you, it would be different. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for you. Maybe if God came to you and said, you're going to single-handedly slay an army, as if you're fighting one man, maybe you'd be like, let's go, Jesus, I can do that. But if I'm honest, I'm probably sitting in Gideon's camp right now. I'm probably thinking, I'm going to make sure that I didn't make this up in my own head. Okay, I'm going to make sure that this is actually God speaking to me. I don't want to fight an army of over 100,000 people, unless I'm sure. So Gideon takes the opportunity to confirm God's call in his life. So how does he do it? He honours God with what he has. Remember, Gideon defines himself as the least in his family, and that family is the least in his clan. Yet he manages to prepare an entire goat's worth of food, of meat, a pot of broth, and a bread made from a basket of flour. Do you know how much a basket of flour is? It's actually a measurement. It's 22 litres of flour. Now, I don't buy my flour by the litre from Woolies. So 22 litres converts to over 11 kilos of flour. That is a lot of bread, okay? That is a lot of bread. I use a fair bit of flour when I make pancakes, but not 11 kilos worth. So Gideon makes this massive meal, a whole goat, 11 kilos of flour into bread. Gideon gives everything that he has when given the opportunity. He prepares the best that he can offer to honour his God. And then God finds the offering acceptable. He takes the offering and he consumes it in such a way that Gideon can have no doubt that this is God speaking to him. He has seen God's angel in the flesh. So now that he knows, now that Gideon is sure, this is God, God is speaking to me, this guy before me is really an angel, what does he do? He completely freaks out. He freaks out. This is actually a message from God. This is God's messenger standing before me. I had made him wait while I cooked a whole goat's worth of food. It didn't take me 15 minutes in a microwave. It took him hours to make, and the angel waited for him the whole time. I made him wait, and then I questioned God. I questioned God. I, I said that he abandoned us. I'm in trouble here. He freaks out. He thinks that he is going to die. He's seen God's angel face to face, and God is going to strike him down. Yet while he's panicking and freaking out, God goes, it's okay. It's okay, Gideon. You're not going to die. God reassures him again. And now Gideon builds an altar to his God. An altar that he names Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. We have a choice on how to respond to every opportunity. 
We can choose with faith, respond with faith, or we can respond with fear. It is our choice how we respond, faith or fear. Gideon cooks a banquet meal for God, probably close to all he has. He honors God out of his faith. He believes God. His faith is starting to grow. I mean, the shock of realizing that it's really God speaking to him, selecting him, choosing him to do this, to fight the Midianites, he takes the opportunity to honor his God by building him an altar, and he names it the Lord is peace. For seven years, Gideon has known anything but peace. His people have forgotten what peace is like. They've been oppressed for seven years. And yet one encounter with God, one encounter with the presence of our Lord, and he builds an altar and names it the Lord is peace. Why? Because he knows that's what God is going to bring to his people. He calls it the Lord is peace because his hope is now that God is going to bring peace to his people. Gideon's hope is starting to grow. His faith in God. And he has hope because he took the opportunity to believe, to respond in faith, to honour and trust his God. Gideon is undergoing transformation at this moment in time. His faith is building. And for the first time in a long time, he has hope. Every situation is an opportunity for us to place our hope in God. If we give out of what we have, if we honour him, then he can begin a work of transformation in your life. Hope for a better future. Hope that we can cling to a better relationship with him. Hope that is real. Hope founded in the goodness of God. So what does Gideon do next? We read on. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, because God loves symbolism, seven years, seven years old for every year that they're being impressed. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood from the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. Gideon is now listening to God. His ear is attuned to God. He's accepting slowly that God means to really use him to save his nation. But first, something important must be done. There is a first step. He must rid his family of false worship. God tells him to destroy the altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole and then build an altar to God on the hilltop. Provide a burnt offering to God. If the people are to rise up and follow Gideon into battle, they have to respond to God's plan. And to do that, they must be set free from false idols, from false worship. They must take these, their eyes off these false gods and worship the one true God again. Because you cannot wholeheartedly serve God if your heart is after something else. You can't do it. You can't serve two masters. God is everything, and your heart must be set toward him. If you want to reset our hope, we must first and foremost seek God's presence. We must seek his presence. P is for presence. Gideon, like so many others in his nation, had been eking out an existence completely separate from the idea that God is with them. They have forgotten. They have ignored God for so long. They have forgotten that God is even there. They were his chosen people, yet God has now been relegated to stories of old. 
think legends that we tell our children. But the truth is, no matter where we are in relationship with God, we need the presence of God in our life. We need the presence of God in our life. It doesn't matter who you are. No matter how long you've been a Christian for, you need more of the presence of God in your life. We need to seek His face. We need to spend time with Him, encounter Him in His Word. We will always need more of the presence of God because it's all too easy to drift along in life just doing things our own way. But hope cannot flourish. Your hope cannot be reset. Hope doesn't work unless you seek after Him, pressing into Him, asking Him to use you, to use, to use you to bless other people, to work through you. We can hope when he is first and foremost in our lives because we can approach his throne with confidence. Ask of God, yield to his will, will and then wait in anticipation. Wait with expectation. We hope because he is present in our daily life. We need the daily presence of God. But there's a danger, you see. There's a danger. We can get distracted just like God's people did, falling for other gods, for false idols, worshipping something else. So what does God do? He sends Gideon to remove them. We need to prune the distractions in our life. We need to prune the distractions. Now, none of us probably have an Asherah pole in our backyard. I'm sure everyone's nodding here. They agree with me. It's all right. I'm sure at home, none of you have an Asherah pole in your backyard. If you do, that's another story, okay? Just let me know and I'll come around with an axe. It's all good. But there's never been more distractions than we have in the 21st century. So many things vying for our attention to take our eyes off Jesus. People follow screens of all different sizes, little screens, medium-sized screens, large screen TVs. They follow media outlets that spread false information. They're addicted to their technology. We are coddled by a society where truth is relative. I love what Roger said this morning. There is only one truth. Truth is not relative, even though the world will tell you that is truth. Whatever works for you is fine. It's okay, as long as you're not hurting anybody. If that's true for you, then that is true for you. The truth is, there is only one God. There is only one God. Truth is absolute. Jesus Christ is God's Son. He died on the cross for you and was raised again to life. And people can be set free if they believe in Jesus. That is the truth. That is the only truth. There is only one hope, and it is found in Jesus. God in human form. His presence amongst his people. And now his presence living within us. If you seek him and if you have hope in him. You must have God's presence. So Gideon removes the distractions. And then in the word tells us that Gideon was clothed with power and he called an army and they responded. They responded to Gideon to go into battle against the Midianites. And so he marches them out. He marches them out near the camp where the Midianites are. <clears throat> and then we see them there and there's lots of them. And then God speaks to Gideon. He speaks to Gideon and he says, Do you know what? You have too many people in your army. The Midianite army was about 135,000. Gideon's army was 32,000. Yet God says to Gideon, you have too many men. And so Gideon turns to his men and he says, if you're afraid to attack the Midianites, I want you to go home. And so 22,000 people leave and go back home again. Two-thirds of his army is completely wiped out in the first question. 
And then God comes to Gideon again and says, Do you know what, Gideon? You have too many people in your army. 10,000 is too many against 135,000. And so by a bizarre, complex process of how men drink water from rivers using their hands or not, I'm not going to go into that, God whittles down the army to 300 men. Gideon and his 300 men. And this is the army that Gideon will lead against the Midianites. We pick up the story in chapter 7. That night, the Lord said, so 300 men, that night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and then you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. This army is massive. It takes up all that they can see. Gideon crept up just as one man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. God knows Gideon's heart. I mean, we know it too. Over the course, he asked for three signs. He asked for the first sign at the back of the angel when he cooked the meal. And then there was this moment in the between I didn't cover about fleece and watery, watery floors. I'm not going to get into that. But three signs, three times he asked for reassurance. But this time God preempts Gideon. He says, go down and attack them. But if you're afraid, because God knows full well that Gideon is afraid, he gives him the option to go down and spy on the Midianite army. And it's when he does that, that he sees that victory truly is at hand. That God has done the impossible. God is going to give him and his 300 men victory over these Midianites. So we have history, understanding a history with God. We have opportunity to respond in faith or fear. And we have presence. We either got a presence of his life. That this leaves one letter. That is letter E. And that is Elpis. Elpis. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Randall, that's not even a word. You just made something up. No, I didn't make something up. It's okay. It is a word. It's just not English. It's just not an English word. It is a Greek word. Elpis. Elpis is the Greek for hope. And elpis means to trust. We need to trust. Gideon, despite all his doubts, is left with no doubt when he and Pura sneak down and eavesdrop on the enemy soldiers. And he hears of a dream that reveals what God is doing and what God has done, his power. Despite all his doubts in God, his own fears taking over, an enemy soldier hears one dream from a fellow soldier and is absolutely convinced that Gideon's God is going to defeat them. He hears one dream and he already knows that he's lost. God uses the testimony of the enemy to convince Gideon that he can trust in God. Isn't God amazing? The testimony of an enemy soldier who doesn't believe in Yahweh, doesn't believe in our God. He knows of our God, but doesn't believe in our God, yet he hears one dream and he knows that he's going to lose. 
And that is enough for Gideon to know that he can trust in God. Gideon has hope because victory is coming. If we want hope, we must learn to trust. We have to learn to trust if we want to be people of hope. We have to place ourselves in a position to trust God. Maybe that means asking for something that only He can give you. Maybe that means letting go of something that you've held on to you all your life, that safe place you keep running back to because it is secure. But the truth is, God wants you to grow. He wants you to go to the next step, to move forward. So maybe you need to let go of the things that have been security for you and trust that God has better things for you ahead. If we can learn to trust God, then we can learn to reset our hope and have the confidence to look towards a better future. What I love about the word elpis is actually derived from another word, which is the word elpo. And that doesn't mean to trust at all. Elpo means to anticipate with pleasure. Anticipate with pleasure. To welcome what comes next. Not just living day by day, wishfully thinking that hopefully it doesn't go too bad today. You wake up in the morning, I hope today isn't too bad. I hope it's better than yesterday. But actually, this idea that you actually look forward to the day. You actually anticipate there's going to be good things, there's pleasure, you have joy about today and tomorrow, you actually welcome the things that are coming even though you don't know what they are. You trust in God that they're going to be good. And if they're not good for now, you trust that God is going to use them for your benefit. The idea that you would welcome tomorrow, anticipating what is going to happen. Trusting in God means to welcome the future. Trusting in God means to welcome the future. At its true heart, this is what hope is. Welcoming the future, embracing it with open arms, not tiptoeing in so we don't break anything. I don't know if you saw those memes. Make sure we get into 2022, make sure you don't break anything. I reject those ridiculous memes. We are not tiptoeing into anything. We're not moving with trepidation. I'm anticipating God's goodness. I'm welcoming the future, knowing that God is good and He is with me, that He will fulfill what He says He will do. At the last online prayer meeting, if you were there, we had Failing Sparks, and she's a recognized prophet. And she gave people, everyone there, she gave them a word. They are words from God that we can hold on to. Things that we can welcome into our lives. Good things to anticipate. That is what it means to hope. To wait with anticipation as he fulfills his promises. We anticipate that God is going to come through. If you want to have this kind of hope, Hope for the future. Hope that is trusting God. Hope that means you wake up every day feeling good in expectation of the good things that God is going to do. Embracing the day that he has made for you. If that's the hope that you want, then you have to start by remembering his goodness. Remembering your history with God. Not how you see yourself, but the blessings God has given you. Naming the blessings that he has given us as they fuel our faith. Take the opportunities. Take the opportunities. Seek him. Respond in faith. Honor him what you have and be transformed by the situations he gives you. And get God's presence into your life. Seek him. Prune out the distractions and get into the presence of God. And remember, help us. It's easy because it sounds like help us. Help us, God, to trust in you. Help us, God, to trust that you are good. Trust your unfailing word to welcome what you have in store for us. 
embracing the day you have made for us. I want to finish with a scripture from Romans. Paul wrote to the Roman church. And I'm going to use this because it covers everything that we have said this morning. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That is our history. What God has done for us. He has saved us. We have peace with God. That is part of your history. It is part of your past if you believe in Jesus. That is what God has done for you. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops character and out of character, out of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That is opportunity. Opportunity comes. Trials will come. That's an opportunity for us to respond in faith, not fear. I know that we will be developed, that we will be strengthened of character. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fulfill our hearts with his love. There is the presence of God. Holy Spirit living within us. God lives within us. His presence is in you. So we can trust in him. We can trust in him. I'm going to pray this morning that we would move forward from this place and be people of hope. But before I do that, if you're watching at home, you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've heard me speak of hope and you think, that sounds really good. You've never had that hope in your life before. You've lived a life without that kind of hope. I want to tell you this morning, you can have that hope if you believe in Jesus. All you need to do is come to God and say, God, forgive me for what I've done. I've lived my life separate from you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins and was raised to life so that I might live forever. If you believe that, all you do is accept his gift of salvation. And it can be yours. You can have the hope that God gives us. It is free for you, a free gift. If that is you, I encourage you to make that decision to believe in Jesus. And if you do, reach out to us, respond to us. Go on our website, email us, info at riversidecc.org.au. Reach out to us on Facebook. Whatever it is, if that is you this morning, I want you to reach out for us. But the rest of us, let us pray this morning. Let's close our eyes before the Lord this morning. At home, I ask you would do the same. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of hope, that we have access to your throne room, that we can boldly approach the throne of God. We can come to you with our, our praises, our requests, our sin. We can come to you and you will deal with all of them. That is a free gift from you, God, your grace and your mercy through Jesus Christ. This morning, I pray for everybody here, myself included, everybody at home, every house who watches this stream, watches this message, I pray that they would have hope, that they would take the time now to reflect, to remember their history with you, that they would take the time to remember the blessings that you have given them. They would take them out to name them one by one, remembering the good things that you have given to them. Because that is how we fuel our faith. We remember your goodness. And you have given everybody here a good thing, 
at least one, everyone can name at least one thing that they've been given by God. That is salvation. But there is so much more that you've given us. You're a God of abundance and how you bless us. So let us remember, let us remember our history with you, counting our blessings. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we're people who take the opportunity. Every situation enables transformation. Let us be people who remember that every opportunity we have is an opportunity to respond in faith or fear. Let us be people who are people of faith. Let us step forward and believe in God, giving you everything that we have, honouring you with what we have. Even if it isn't much, even if it doesn't feel like much, we give what we have to you, God, and that you will transform us. You will bless us in that opportunity. You will transform us into something greater. You will use us and work through us to bless other people. Help us to respond in faith to every opportunity, every situation that we face. And Lord, let us get the presence of God in our lives. Let us daily come to you, seeking your face, pressing into you, reading your word, asking, talking to you, listening to you. Because without your presence, God, hope is so hard. Hope is so hard. It's so hard to hope when we don't feel you with us. But let us know. Let us remember that no matter how far you feel away, no matter how, how far we feel in our heart, in our mind, we would know that it is truth. It is truth that you are near us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Your presence is with us always. Holy Spirit, you live within us. God's presence in us always. So let us press into you, God. And finally, God, let us cry out to you. Help us with trust. Help us to trust you, God. That we would trust in you and everything you've given us. To wait expectantly in anticipation of the good things that you have. That everybody here would welcome the rest of today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. They would welcome them with open arms, knowing that you're a good God, anticipating goodness. But knowing whatever comes their way, that you are with us. Whatever comes their way, tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year, whatever comes, they would know that you, God, are working for good for all those who believe in you and follow your commands. Whatever happens, you are a good God. Let us embrace our future. Let us welcome the future because we expect, we wait expectantly for your goodness, God. We thank you so much. Let us not walk out of this place walk out into our lives from our homes. Let us not be afraid. Let us be people who are faithful, not fearful, who are hopeful of the future that you are bringing us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good. You are good. Thank you, Jesus, you are good. Let us be people of hope. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 I want to thank you for joining us this morning online, wherever you are. So good to have you with us. I encourage you to keep joining us online. Next week, Pastor Ken will be sharing about resetting our love. So I encourage you to join us online next Sunday for that. I encourage you, go out in this week. Be people of hope because God is good. He wants us to hope for good things. So let us welcome our future. Let us embrace it. Let us not be fearful but full of faith. Yes? Amen. God bless and have a great week. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.